is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, March 13th, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. Working from Bristol, Bruce Baldwin, Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk, I'm Buster Only out in Clearwater. Later today, I'm going to get a chance to go see the Phillies and the Blue Jays. Went to the Phillies game yesterday. It's uh, just beautiful down here. Taylor, we're, we're right around the corner now. Like, you know, talking with the... The team staffers with the Phillies yesterday, they're excited. They're like eight or nine more days at WBC, potentially. You know, a lot of guys are going to start cycling back into their teams and getting ready for the start of the year. I'm excited, man. And, and we're going to talk some WBC with Eduardo Perez. And I've been loving it. It's really got me excited for the season. It's a great little appetizer. Yeah. And, and not surprisingly, the star of the WBC so far is Shohei Otani who hit a 448-foot three-run blast uh, in a victory that Japan had over Australia 7-1. Here's the sound of that home run. The 0-1 pitch, taken high and deep to right field. Otani has blown the roof off the Tokyo Dome. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. And last night, the hot ticket was in Chase Field in Arizona, where Mexico blew out Team USA. Here was a big moment in that game. 1-1. Rosarena runs. Manessas charges it to left field. Joey Manessas takes it out. Final score there, Mexico 11, USA 5. Salvador Perez hammered Puerto Rico going four for four. He was part of that. And that was pulled, but not on the ground. Just hammered to left center field. Gone! Oh, the seven-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glover. Did I say he has a record for most home runs by a catcher in a single season? Salvador Perez, he has come to play tonight. Yeah, so there's been a lot of focus on the Dominican Republic team because that great lineup. Uh, Puerto Rico's had a lot of success in past WBCs, but Team Venezuela right now in a good place in that Group D. We got this news the other day. Friend of the podcast, Corbin Carroll, agreed to an eight-year, $111 million deal. Taylor, when you saw this news break, I'm sure you weren't surprised based on our conversation with him. Not surprised and very excited for him. He was, you know, you come on the podcast, we're friends for life. That's what I always say. So glad to see our close personal friend, Corbin Carroll, getting that bag. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the podcast just launched him right into that those negotiations, $111 million deal. Uh, he set for like Kai Barrett Ruiz of the Washington Nationals gets an eight-year, $50 million deal. This is someone with one year, 64 days of service in the big leagues. Uh, I sent a note to Sarah Langs over the weekend and asked her for a catcher with that kind of service time. What kind of precedent do we have? The longest previous deal for a catcher with that sort of service time was Salvador Perez, who got a five-year contract. So Ruiz, an eight-year deal. Uh, Justin Turner spoke with reporters over the weekend for the first time since being hit in the face with a pitch. Uh, he talked about how he feels really fortunate, and he is anticipating he's going to be ready for opening day, Alex Cora said the same thing on Sunday, that they think that that is going to happen. Harrison Bader of the Yankees will not be available on opening day. He suffered an oblique injury on Friday. He's going to be out about six weeks. So just another injury for the Yankees as they move forward. I'm going to talk to, to Eduardo Perez about whether or not the Yankees uh, are being pulled back to the pack you know, teams like the Rays and the Blue Jays perhaps benefiting from this bad luck the Yankees have been having with injuries. Meanwhile, the Yankee shortstop competition continues to be a hot topic of conversation. And Anthony Volpe hit a monster home run against the Red Sox on Sunday. High fly to right center field, well struck. That's going to travel, travel, back it goes, and it is gone. And we talked about this kid's power, elite power. He's also played a real good shortstop today. Yeah, he can swing it. This is a kid that uh, a lot of people want him as the everyday shortstop for the New York Yankees. Yeah, you heard Dave O'Brien on Nesson with a call that home run. The Miami Marlins went bottom feeding in the free agent market. They signed Yuli Gurriel, Jose Iglesias to minor league deals. 
Uh, Grail's 38 years old. Of course, Jose Iglesias has bounced from team to team. Uh, 32 years old, a good defensive shortstop. I was at the Phillies-Jays game Sunday, and this is part of what went on there. Top of the third inning, George Springer at the plate. Springer drives one straight away center field. That's carrying well to the berm and gone. George Springer has done it again. His second home run in as many days. His third round tripper of the spring. Blue Jays have a one nothing jump on the Philadelphia Phillies. So, Taylor, I'm going to ask you what's going on, but I know what's going on to you, and that is very little sleep and some bracketology. Mm-hmm. So I think I sent out my show note last night. I think it was 3.09 in the morning. It's what we call pulling a Sarah Langs around here. Right, exactly. Uh, so that was for the College Game Day podcast. Uh, we have four shows up right now, breaking down each region of the bracket. That's with Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. Uh, we were in Bristol, Sarah and I, for the show, which was, ju- you know, it's always more fun in person. So I think it really comes through in the recording. And uh, so everyone should check it out as you're filling out your brackets. Unfortunately, Buster, there is no Vanderbilt to advance. So uh, Yeah, I what's up with okay. that? Was that even discussed on the podcast? I need to know that ahead of time. Nope. If, if you guys are not... <laughs> The opening the show with the outrage <laughs> over Vanderbilt being out, you kind of lose me. Mm, I think there was more outrage that Rutgers didn't make it in than Vanderbilt. So you really. Who cares <laughs> about Rutgers? I agree. Who cares about <laughs> Rutgers? Sorry, man. Tough break. Yeah, I'm kidding. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner. Moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Eduardo Perez is an analyst for ESPN, and Eduardo, that means you're paying attention to the WBC. Tell me what uh, what's gotten you excited so far. I'll tell you this, Buster. I think I've lost my voice because I was uh, at the game last night where Puerto Rico faced Venezuela, and Venezuela pretty much um, took care of Puerto Rico. Uh, but it was a it was a great time in that Pool D, as far as Dominican having lost first and foremost to Venezuela. Venezuela looks strong. Venezuela now looks like they have a shoe in into the fight of moving into the next round. Um, the big question is, what's going to happen to that second team? It could come down to if Puerto Rico can beat Israel tonight and if the Dominican Republic is able to win this afternoon. We're looking at maybe a Puerto Rico-Dominican showdown on Wednesday uh, to see who gets in and who goes back home or to spring training, you could say. But pull, pull C. United States losing to Mexico, and by a lot, the way it was done. Uh, the Mexicans took uh, care of them offensively. Brady Singer just did not have it um, early in the game, and Mexico took advantage of it. It was uh, pretty impressive what their offense was able to do. Love their defense and love the energy that they brought compared to the energy that they had against Colombia in the first game where they won extra innings and ended up losing that game in extra innings to Colombia. So just imagine if the United States has trouble against Colombia, the United States will then be eliminated and it would be Mexico and Colombia coming over to Miami. That would be crazy, crazy for the World Baseball Classic, especially with a roster like the United States have uh, has 
And and I'll I'll tell you this, this this is the beauty of baseball. It doesn't matter how many stars you have. Tim Kirchens always said at the end of the game, your best player might not even be able to get the ball like in other sports in football where the quarterback has the ball. In basketball, where you give it to LeBron or or or, or you give it to that star player back in the day of uh, Jordan. You can't do that in baseball. Anything can happen on a given day because that pitcher is a different guy that neutralizes an offense. So tell me, who'd you lose your voice cheering for? Like, how, how did you? I mean, I mean, you're a seasoned professional. Like, you've done, you've announced. I was a fan. Four and a half I was hour games. You what? I was a fan. I was a fan, Buster. Yesterday, I was a fan. I was saying. For who? Who are you cheering for? Puerto for? Rico. I was cheering for Puerto Rico. I mean, I have to. My wife was there cheering along. She's like, come on, jump. I'm like, I can't jump. I got a new knee. Not yet. But I can move around. Um, I, I was I was enjoying the game as a fan. And I don't remember the last time where I went to a game and I cheered so much the baseball aspect of it as a fan living that moment. And now I get it, you know, because you're I'm usually playing the game back then or it was you know, broadcasting the game where you have to be very neutral. In this case, it was, um, it wasn't coming out of the diaphragm. That's for sure. It was just coming straight out. Yell, let's go. And, and uh, leading cheers along because that's what you do. You sing a lot during these games. And you're someone who spent a lifetime in baseball. Uh, how often have you lost your voice as a fan at a game, like your whole life? This could be one of the first times. This could be one of the first times. That's why when I told you, let's do this, let's back it up 15 minutes. I started gargling. I started doing all kinds of remedies to be able to get this. But um, I, I feel I feel better now. I think I'll be ready to go. Maybe even uh, tonight I'm going to take a break. We have some meetings, so I can't go tonight. But hopefully that Wednesday game, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, <laughs> don't, don't have me do the podcast on Thursday. <laughs> I might have you just, you know, join us just to hear your voice, right? And say, Eduardo, try to utter a sound. So tell me about, you know, the stars that have emerged in your eyes. I mean, obviously, Otani has been ridiculous. And, and it feels like a precursor to, to one of the great seasons of all time. Uh, absolutely. Look, um, let, let's go from the beginning. When you see those games in Japan, you see those games also in Chinese Taipei. And you see the fan bases and you see the players and you see how they cheer for each one. And you see all the um, all, all the all the banners and everything that the fans have. It is awesome. I, I, I love the fact that, yes, Shohei Otani showed up in a major way and has been as advertised and what the Czech Republic meant to this tournament and saying, I want to face Otani. I want to be able to do this. I want to, be, you know, there's there's going to be a, it's. You only see this in the World Baseball Classic, where amateur players represent their country and they can face the best in the world. And not only that, there's one check that will be able to go back home and say, I struck that guy out. I own him. And he can say that for the rest of his life and he has it on video to prove it. Um, you, you look at Lars Nupar going, going to Japan, yes. from Japan, right? He has been embraced by the Japanese and he's embracing the culture. He's speaking the language as well. He's he's uh, acknowledging the fans, the cheers that he does after, the defensive plays that he's made has endeared him to that fan base. And I, this is this is a guy now that will not be able to walk the streets of Tokyo for the rest of his life without being told or 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 let me do a selfie or anything because that's how big of an impact he has made on this World Baseball Classic team, a team that is perfect for no. Um, yeah, just the, a second. Did you see Lars's pregame speech the other day? The, the video of his pregame speech? Oh, it was absolutely. unbelievable. Absolutely. It was so much fun. Absolutely. I, you know, and, and then you saw the vulnerability also of Tommy Edmund, who, you know, went to Korea, to the Korean team, first had a flight of Seoul, met the team there, practiced with the team there, uh, and then and then ended up going to Tokyo, and they ended up not making it. It was, the, it was also a team that was favored to be able to, uh, not only pass the first round, but most likely come on over to Miami as well for the semifinals. He goes back now home to to his spring training site while Tommy while Lars Newpark continues to have a great time with the with the Japanese team. You go to Chinese Taipei, and you for me there Cuba is the story. 
Cuba is a story. They started the, they started the tournament 0-2. They win the next two games because Juan Moncada and Luis Roberts started swinging the bat well. They have a first baseman, uh, last name Drake, that did, did go four for four in game three, did do well. They've, but their team has all of a sudden gelled. They focused. They ended up in the number one position. So this is what happens. Cuba will now face Australia. Moving on. The Netherlands are eliminated. Italy, great story with Mike Piazza, will face Japan uh, in Tokyo. Japan favored. They're going to most likely face Shohei Otani. The winner of that game goes on to Miami. The winner of each game goes on to Miami. Just imagine, Cuba is set up in a position, Buster, where if they beat Australia, they're going to end up in Miami. And Mm -hmm. that's the entire talk of what's going on here um, in this in, in the magic city right now. Uh, all the Cuban communities, all the people, all the Cuban, you know, the Cubans are, are mixed emotions of, do we want them to represent Cuba here in Miami? Uh, it, it's a very interesting sports political dynamic going on where you do have two major leaguers from the same team who are managed by a Cuba, by, by a Cuban descent, uh, manager Pedro Grifo with the Chicago White Sox that are now going to most likely they're one win away from wearing that Cuban uniform in uh, Lone Depot Park uh, come next week. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic as well. Okay, we got four minutes. Uh, I want I got to, want to ask you about some performance of young players in, in spring training camps. But before we go, uh, I also want to ask you about Joel Source's celebration for Team Italy, he strikes out, uh, you know, gets big strikeouts in six inning. How much fun was that? That was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I have a lack of sleep problem going on right now. Um, just getting up in the middle of the night or early in the morning to be able to watch these games. And the, the, the passion is there. You got to love it. I mean, this is what the WBC has allowed. And I think because of previous WBCs, we're seeing a lot more celebrations actually at the major league level. And guys are, guys yeah. are loving it. No, no question. So these are, I'm going to throw, you know, everyone always, uh, the, the conversation we have uh, happens every spring about statistics and spring training and what their meaning uh, is. And I've always thought that for some players, yeah, they don't mean anything. You know, veteran guy, uh, you know, starting pitcher, 32 years old, who's in the second year of a five-year contract, the, the numbers don't mean anything. But for young players, I think it can be difference-making when you hear about the conversation within the organization about whether or not to keep the guy at the big league level. So I'm going to throw some numbers at you, and you tell me what jumps out at you about these numbers. Jason Dominguez trying to win an outfield spot on the Yankees roster. So far this spring, Eduardo, seven for 16, three homers, three walks, two strikeouts. Okay? He's a switch hitter. Jordan Walker, Cardinals, and he, he just dinged up a shoulder the other day. Right. It may affect his chances for making the roster, but he's 14 for 33, three doubles, three homers, no walks, five strikeouts. And Anthony Volpe trying to win that shortstop job for the Yankees, eight for 25, three doubles, two homers, four walks, six strikeouts. What jumps out to you those for those three young rising stars? The strikeouts. Um, I look at the numbers I, I don't pay as much attention to, basically because I know that Jason Dominguez has power. I know he's going to get a hold. I know there's going to be a lot of mistakes thrown during uh, spring training. So I'm not concerned as much on that. I'm happy that he's able to make contact, hard contact, and showing the major league coaches what he can do, something that the front office already knows so it can back it up. But the amount of strikeouts, walk per strikeout ratio for Jason Dominguez stands out to me. It tells me that he yep. understands strike zone. He's putting himself in a in a hitter's count. Um, when when you look at uh, Walker, you, you, the the no walks uh, stands yep. out. Stands out. Then you have the strikeouts, but he's that type of player. You want him to be aggressive in the zone. He's going to grow. And he, and one thing that they already know is that he can hit elite pitching. And another thing that they know is, look, he might be trying a little too hard right now uh, with it. And the numbers still show that he's dynamic. But he's always had a grasp for understanding what the strike zone is. So I'm, I'm not a little, I'm not too concerned with the no walks in his situation. Anthony Volpe, I, I need him to play every day. 
And in order for him to play every day, the way the situation is set up, I want him to play great defense. I have to look more, I have to look deeper into not only just the offensive numbers, but the defensive numbers as well. And if he's not going to play every day, he has to go back down to AAA. Those numbers are great. I just want him to be healthy so he can continue to develop at the AAA level. Yeah, I think Dominguez is going to start the year in the minor leagues for the Yankees, and he'll be a great option as the year goes along. Volpe, I think, is on the fence. I mentioned uh, last week, you know, when I was in camp there, I think the general feeling that I got was Peraza is going to be the shortstop to start the year. Maybe Volpe changes that. Where do you stand on Jordan Walker making the Cardinals to start the year? All depends on the shoulder. Um, One thing that Ali said is from now on, he's sliding feet first. And, you know, so that's 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 one thing that he's uh, uh, that he's going to have to work on. But he's a big guy that you need him to line up. Uh, My concern is if you're going to put him out in the outfield and that's that that's the play, that's what's been going on when there is a ball that he has to dive for. Will he be hesitant to do so? Um, They have to make sure that that shoulder is 100 percent. And the good thing is he's been taking he's been taking swings in the cage today, even though he was not programmed uh, to play yesterday. He did take swings in the cage. And they're hoping that um, today was a better day for him. Tea and honey, Eduardo. Rested today. Only tea and honey. Got it? I don't know. It's 7 o'clock. I'm going to be yelling again, Buster. I'm going to be yelling from somewhere. I'll be yelling. Los Angeles Angels. For the seventh consecutive year, the Angels had a losing record in 2022, just 73 wins and 89 losses. This is with Mike Trout, one of the greatest players of all time, and with Shohei Otani, the most unique talent in baseball history. Newcomers. The Angels added veteran Tyler Anderson to the rotation, Brandon Drury to the position player depth, the underrated reliever Carlos Estevez to the bullpen, as well as lefty Matt Moore. The Angels also traded for outfielder Hunter Renfro, improving the team's outfield defense. Gone, but not forgotten. The Angels affected some of their turnover at last year's trade deadline, dealing Brandon Marsh and Noah Syndergaard. Michael Lorenzen left as a free agent. The X Factor. Mike Trout starts the year with 350 homers, 1,543 hits, 1,052 runs scored, and he's 31 years old. But a range of injuries have sidelined him in recent years repeatedly. He missed 28 games in 2019, 126 games in 2021, and 43 games last year. In fact, he's reached 140 games only once in the last six years, 2017, when he played in exactly 140 games. Captain Obvious says the Angels need him on the field more to get back to the playoffs. Fault lines. It always seems that the Angels' biggest problem is pitching, but that is changing. Last year, Phil Nevin's team finished the year ninth in the majors in the ERA at 3.79, and Otani leads what seems to be a pretty good group of starters. Anderson, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, and Jose Suarez round out the rotation. The Angels could challenge for a playoff spot. The Baseball Tonight Podcast win projection. The Pagoda projection system is high on the Angels, suggesting 85.8 wins. I'll say 86 wins. Paul Ambikides has a very different view, saying 79 wins. Sarah Langs, 83 wins. Jason Rodriguez is widely considered to be the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. Of course, he's in the Baltimore Orioles organization. Grayson, how you doing? I'm good, Buster. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us. I, I tried to put myself in your shoes as I was preparing for this and thinking, oh my God, I must be so excited at this moment to be so close to the big leagues after all that you went through last year. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's great being back out here, uh, especially healthy. Um, you know, spring training is obviously an exciting time uh, in the baseball world, and, and I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. So last year, uh, I you know was following uh, your you know starts and your progress in the minor leagues, thinking, okay, will this one be the one where he gets called up? Is this one that's going to get him to the big leagues? Is this one? And then you got hurt, and as soon as I was, and we talked about in the podcast last year. I was just heartbroken for you last year when you didn't reach the big leagues. You suffered that lat injury. Tell me about your experience, knowing that you were so close to reaching uh, Camden Yards. Yeah, so that was, uh, I guess, unexplored territory for me. I'd never been injured before. Um, It's the first time I'd ever been hurt and missed games. Uh, So it was pretty hard to deal with, you know, obviously uh, being so close to the big leagues. But 
uh, just kind of being able to take a step back, um, get down here to Florida, rehab, uh, really kind of, I guess, dive into depths of like my game, my pitches, you know, in the downtime, um, you know, when I came back, uh, we were right back to where we started and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to this year. So how did you sort of calibrate your, your mind sort of reset after that injury? How did you do that to move on? Like, okay, now I need to focus on the rehab and getting back. Yeah, just uh, showing up to the park every day, getting your work in, um, obviously watching a lot of the O's games uh, at night, staying locked in and baseball, um, you know, watching games was something I really tried to focus on uh, to make sure, you know, I kind of wasn't, I guess, getting unfocused or, or uh, I guess, distracted away from the game. So uh, just being able to watch games on TV and look at video kept me pretty locked in. So tell me what you lo- love to watch down the stretch with the Orioles in that regard. And, and obviously what was a, a surprise and terrific season. Yeah. So obviously watching the guys uh, that I've come up in the minor leagues with uh, Adley, Gunner, Kyle Stowers, some of these younger guys, um, you know, it's really cool to see them, uh, you know, on the big stage uh, doing, you know, having success, um, especially because those are your friends. So that's, that's something I really enjoyed to watch. So last year, 69 and two-thirds innings, just 21 walks, 97 strikeouts. As you sit here today, having dominated in, in AAA, what more do you feel like you need to accomplish at the minor league level before you get promoted? Uh, you know, as a pitcher, I think everybody can always throw more strikes. So that's what I'm uh, focused on right now, limiting walks. You know, in baseball, walks will hurt you. So uh, just attacking the strike zone, making sure I'm – I'm spinning the ball as, as good as I can and, and, you know, seeing if the hitters can hit it. What have they told you about your chances coming into spring training for, for breaking the t- with the team at the beginning of the year? Yeah, so they told me just to come in, get my work done, uh, get ready for a full season, a uh, healthy season, uh, and, you know, just put my nose down and grind, uh, competing for a spot. What's the atmosphere like in the Orioles camp after last year's uh, progress? Uh, you know, it's exciting. It's pretty electric. Um, you know, this is the first spring training where, you know, there's a lot of excitement about winning, uh, winning ball games. Um, there's a lot of young guys in the clubhouse. Uh, it's exciting to see, um, you know, really we're just eager to get after this year and see what it holds. All right. Uh, you mentioned Adley Rutschman, someone that, you know, one thing that I heard from actually a couple of rival evaluators during the winter time was, is that this someone is someone as a catcher who has unusual uh, focus from pitch to pitch, not only as a hitter, but as a catcher. What's it like to work with him? Yeah, um, it definitely makes my job easier. Um, you know, he's he's got it between the ears, that's for sure. Um, so I've always said he knows my game uh, better than I know it myself. So, you know, very rarely do I shake him off. Um you know, he's got a really good game plan back there behind the plate. And as a pitcher, it just makes your job a heck of a lot easier. Tell me about uh, what you see in his, uh, I mentioned the the pitch-to-pitch focus. Uh, how does that manifest itself, you know, before a game, during the course of a game? Because as you know, because you watch games, uh, there'll be some catchers who won't have a lot of interaction with the pitchers between innings. Some catchers, uh, you know, prefer to have more. Adley seems absolutely engaged with the pitcher all the way through. Yeah, so, you know, obviously uh, fans can see that after the inning's over, he meets the uh, meets the pitcher at the foul line. Uh, that's something I think he's done since college. Um, but really, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty focused on getting instant feedback from the pitcher, uh, you know, kind of what he liked that inning, what you liked, or what do you want to do differently. Um, you know, he's very interactive with the pitching staff, uh, which is really a good thing as a catcher. Um, and, you know, outside of the field, you know, he's always asking you questions about, you know, different things like what you want to see from him. So, you know, as, as far as uh, I guess that relationship goes, he's, he's the best for that. So what's the sort of thing that he'll say when he meets you at the foul line as you come off the mound? Uh, you know, sometimes he likes to keep it light. So he might start off with a joke, but uh, really just kind of seeing what you like that inning or, you know, he'll say, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, we could get this guy on this pitch. Um, you know, that's my fault or whatever. You know, he takes a lot of responsibility, even though necessarily it's the pitcher's problem where the ball's thrown. Um, but, you know, he's just a leader. Um you know, and really it's just getting that feedback. Like, you know, he tells you what he likes about that inning, you know, whether, you know, you did a good job locating fastballs or change-ups or, you know, whatever the pitch might be. 
but, uh, you know, really just kind of getting that good relationship down. So Grayson, in getting ready for this interview, I reached out to some people who know you and said, you know, can you describe his personality for me? And they say, you are all baseball. What, what made you fall in love with the sport when you were young and about how old did that, uh, were you when that happened? Uh, you know, that's probably five years old, uh, playing T-ball for the first time. Uh, you know, as a kid, I always loved to watch games on TV. I always begged my parents to stay, uh, to let me stay up past my bedtime, uh, you know, to watch the, the later innings of the games. But, you know, really just, I guess, going to the games in person, obviously being from Texas, uh, went to a lot of Astros games growing up and Rangers games. Uh, so, man, I guess I just fell in love with the ballparks and, and just, you know, seeing it on TV. I, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. Who was your favorite player and why? There was a lot. There was a lot of favorite players. Um, it, it's it's really hard to, to nail one down, but my favorite position player was definitely Adrian Beltre. Uh, when he was with Texas, he loved to you know have fun with the game. He was always keeping it light. Uh, that was something I always liked to watch. Uh, and then, man, in regards to a pitcher, it's 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 hard to pick one. Uh, you know, seeing, I would have guessed Kershaw, just the Texas roots and, you know, as dominant as he was, but you know, he is left-handed. Yeah. 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 So obviously Kershaw from Texas with the Dodgers, um, you know, love to watch him on TV. Um, saw a lot of the, the Astros pitchers early, early in my youth, uh, Oswald, Pettit, Clemens a little bit, um, you know, with the Rangers at one point, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, those guys were, uh, were fun to watch. Tell me, uh, you know, you fell in love with baseball at, at five years old, but tell me when the first thought uh, occurred to you, how old were you, would you guess that, you know what, I could be pretty good at this? Um, I guess that was high school, right before the draft. Um, I know I'd committed to play baseball at Texas A&M, um, so I knew that I was going to college to play baseball. But, you know, professional baseball still seemed a little bit off in the distance, Um my senior year of high school, or well, take that. Yeah, the start of my senior year of high school, I uh, had hammock surgery, um, then fixed that, and then came out in the spring uh, throwing, you know, 94, 96, um, and really kind of got on the, the draft boards, I guess you could say. And then obviously draft day came. I wasn't really sure where I was going to go, uh, and then the Orioles called my name. So I guess that was actually the moment, like, hey, you know, professional baseball's here, so – it was pretty exciting. What What was the first time you talked to a scout? You know, I've talked to players in the past and they talk about, you know, that first realization when they hear from their coach or maybe their parents or someone who's in the at the ball field. Hey, there's a scout here to see you. Uh, when was the first time you got a chance to talk to a scout? Um, I think playing summer ball, you know, if you go to a lot of showcases and stuff, there's always scouts everywhere. But the first time that I felt like they were coming to watch me play was probably my senior year in high school. Um, you know, started uh, started lighting up the radar gun a little bit, uh, catching some eyes. Um, and just that spring throughout that season, you know, obviously clubs would send uh, scouts to come do a home visit. And uh, that was kind of the first time I was like, wow, you know, this could actually be a possibility. All right. You're six five, And from what I understand, you have a younger brother who's taller than you. What is that about? Yeah, so uh, my younger brother, uh, his name is Garner, um, and yeah, he's fit. He just turned fifteen uh, in February, and he's yeah, he's six seven. Uh, he just he just finished up his freshman year of high school uh, playing basketball, and now uh, he just transitioned into the baseball season. Uh, he's on varsity for both teams, so as a freshman, that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, obviously, people think he's a lot older than than. Uh, you know, what he, what he actually is, but, uh, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be pretty special too. All right. When you play him as a big brother, uh, to a little brother, do you let him win or do you just hammer down? I think, you know, used to maybe, but now I can't, you know, I can't let him win at anything. Uh, you know, his, his head might get a little too big. So he already tells me that he's going to be better than me and, and, you know, all that stuff. So he's already given me a hard time about it. All right. One of our producers on the show is Taylor Schwenk. He's a huge Orioles fan. He'll be one of the people cheering for it at Camden Yards. And he wanted to pitch in a question for you. Give it a listen. Hey, Grayson. What's going on, man? Thanks for coming on. First of all, you spent a year in Salisbury, Maryland. Have you ever gone down the road to Secrets in Ocean City? 
No, I've no. not gone to Secrets in Ocean City. Um, we so Ocean Ocean City was a hot spot, uh, you know, for I guess when we're in Salisbury, uh, a lot of good food, obviously the beach, but it's packed. So uh, I didn't go down there too much. Okay, fair enough. I also wanted to ask you about your hunting. You're a baseball guy, but it's clear that you love hunting. Where do you like to hunt? What do you like to hunt? And what uh, when was that passion kindled? Yeah. So obviously being from Texas, I guess that's kind of a stereotype, but, uh, you know, I love to hunt and fish, uh, you know, hunting is probably my favorite thing to do. Um, I just like being outdoors. Um, you know, I like a good challenge, obviously deer hunting provides a a pretty, uh, pretty nice challenge. So just kind of going out, you know, really just kind of being outside and, 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 you know, being in the outdoors that just, I, I love that. All right, Grayson. Well, I'm excited to see you at Camden Yards. Uh, excited to see you pitch in the big leagues. I'm sure it's right around the corner. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thank you all for having me on. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Baltimore Orioles. Partial payoff for four years of tanking began to manifest for Baltimore in 2022 when the Orioles were baseball's most improved team, progressing from 52 to 83 wins and flirting with contention. Baltimore is stacked with high-end talents like Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, with the looming question continuing to hang over the franchise. When will the team's leadership start to spend money and chase on-the-field success? Newcomers. Despite the incredible climb last season, the Orioles did not spend the money for a multi-year guaranteed contract over the winter. Not for a free agent, not even for one of the team's rising stars. Baltimore signed reliever Michael Gibbons, starting pitcher Kyle Gibson and infielder Adam Frazier to one-year deals. Gibbons' deal has an option for 2024. Gone, but not forgotten. Jordan Lyles, who threw 54 more innings than any pitcher on the staff, moved on as a free agent. And of course, the Orioles front office traded away veterans Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini at the trade deadline last year without adding any help for the big league team. Breakout star. Adley Rutschman is already one of the top two catchers in the majors, and this will be the year that Gunnar Henderson will fully establish himself in the big leagues. He should be the heavy favorite to win the American League Rookie of the Year with his eye-popping athleticism. He posted an OPS plus of 123 down the stretch last season. As one rival staffer said, this guy is going to be a big problem. Fault lines. 
The Orioles have spent about $150 million less in payroll over the last five seasons combined than what the Mets will spend this year. So the question will hang over the team's ownership until there's a change in behavior. When will winning become important to those who write the checks? The owner's unwillingness to spend has become the organization's greatest liability in the team's collected effort to win. The Baseball Tonight Podcast Win Projection. I've got the Orioles for 75 wins as the young core progresses. Hembo says 76. Pakota suggests 74.1. Sarah Langs has the last word, 77 wins. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirkchin covers baseball for ESPN. He does not cover college basketball. So, Tim, I can't get a strong opinion from you on the committee's decision to leave Vanderbilt out, which I thought was absurd. Okay? I'm kind of, I'm kind of chapped this morning after Vanderbilt got stiff from the tournament. Well, so you're chapped most mornings, by the way, about something, and that's why we love you. And I'm sorry that Vandy is out. I saw one of your tweets the other day about how hot they've been lately and they got to be in so what did you do when they were what did you throw something did you scream what happened uh i just uh, lay in a corner and curled up into a ball with with <laughs> sadness okay that's how i felt but the reality is they didn't play well in november they didn't play well in december and they paid the price you know right. i can't sit here when with the, uh, the you know the index that they had was you know below a lot of the other teams that got in Joe Lenardi our our friend person who tells us who the last uh, you know the first four teams out he had Vanderbilt out uh, going into that game against Texas A and M on Saturday and they didn't play very well right right sorry they're not in Buster but we'll have to move on from here. <laughs> okay. I want to ask you about the Baltimore Orioles. We just got done talking with Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, and I ran through some of the win projections that we have for the Orioles this year, who won 83 games last year. Uh, Paul and Bikini's at 76. I got 75. Sarah Lang, 77. Tim, for you, when you think about the Orioles in 2023, what do you think? I really like the direction of the team. But I've done some research on these things, Buster. It is very difficult to do what they did last year and go from 110 losses or whatever it was to 83 wins. It is an enormous jump. The only thing harder than that is to is to jump higher the next year. Once you make that gigantic jump, things generally level off and even go back down. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say the Orioles are going to win 80 games this year, okay, which is fewer than last year. And it's in part because, of course, of the division. I mean, the Rays are really good still. The Blue Jays are getting better. They're really good. The Yankees are really good. And even though they get a scheduled break, not having to see all those teams 19 times, uh, I, I just – also, when you look at the way <clears throat> the Orioles played last year, they had virtually no injuries – to any of their key guys on that team. And we're never rooting for injuries, but they they happen. And I, I just have to think at some point they can't be as healthy as they were last year. But I love the direction of this team. Grayson Rodriguez has a chance sooner rather than later to be a really good major league pitcher. And Gunnar Henderson and the rest of the kids who were brought up last year and in the last two years are clearly are going to lift this team to some really nice places. I just don't think this is the year that they make the playoffs. But I think they'll win 80 games, and I think that's a pretty darn good season for a team still on the rise. Would you agree with me, Adley Rutschman, right now is already one of the top three catchers in baseball, and would you agree with me that Gunnar Henderson going into the year I think is the easy favorite to win the American League Rookie of the Year? Yeah, I, I love that kid, just watching him even a few times. He is a big, strong kid who can run and can do some things, can play multiple places in the infield. I would probably guess that he's the, the best candidate for Rookie of the Year in the American League. And Adley Rushman, you know, we talk all the time about this, Buster, but that team took off when he showed up last year. That is it was not a coincidence. He, I think you could make a case. He's one of the three best catchers 
in the major leagues already, and he just arrived. I'll never forget talking to Jordan Lyles and some other veteran pitchers on the team last year, and there weren't many. Uh, just how well this guy calls the game. He's totally in control of things. It's pretty hard to do when you're his age, but he's a born leader, switch hitter. He's going to get better from the right side. There's nothing <clears throat> not to like about him. So I had a conversation uh, earlier this spring with a former Oriole, and I said to him that I felt like that the what the leadership of that team has done, ownership, uh, is effectively, in my opinion, competitive malpractice. Since we were at the trade deadline last year, they added nothing in the midst of this great you know, uh, resurgence by the team. Uh, and they did absolutely nothing. They trade away their closer. They trade away Trey Mancini. Then we go into the offseason, Tim. They didn't give out a single multi-year contract, and I, I mentioned this in the preview that I wrote. I looked this up yesterday. The Orioles have spent about $150 million less in payroll over the last five years combined than what the Mets will spend this year. And I said to this player, I really think that the, the leadership, the ownership owed it to you guys to back you. And I didn't think they did it. They did that during the course of the offseason, Tim, at all. Yeah, I I expected more from the Orioles in the offseason as far as bringing in players. Um, I mean, Adam Frazier is going to help. Kyle Gibson's going to help. But th- those guys aren't going to help you beat the Yankees or the Rays or the Blue Jays, again, in a very competitive division. And and Mike Elias said, you know, we're we're gonna we're going for it. We, you know, we're gonna spend some money. And then when they didn't, that that's a bit disappointing. So, you know, again, we'll see where this team goes from here. I love the direction, but um this is not the year that they're gonna just break through again and make the playoffs. And I also feel like Tim, they're on the clock when it comes to signing these young players. When you we've seen the Atlanta Braves you know, these great team-friendly contracts where they guarantee, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr., $100 million. Uh, you know, they, the, the, you know, what they did with uh, Austin Riley, you know, what they did with Matt Olson. Uh, they were relatively aggressive. Michael Harris II, they've been relatively aggressive in getting players signed at the right time. They got about a year I think with Adley Rutschman before at some point his representation might go, you know what? You ought to just wait for free agency. Just take it year to year. You can make a ton of money in arbitration, bet on yourself. There's no reason for you to take a team friendly contract. Same thing with Gunnar Henderson. If the Orioles are going to sign these guys, they got to do it now. Well, that sure seems to be the pattern buster for our, for a lot of our teams now is get your best players, sign them up long-term. You know, Adley Rushman is going to be a great player for a long time and, you know, has such great character and makeup that there's no way he's not, you know, going to perform and, and carry the team in, you know, in every single way. So yes, you got to get them signed up now. You got, and this does so much for the fan base when they look at the team and say, all right, well, he's not going to leave like Manny Machado or others had to leave. This guy's our guy. We drafted him number one overall, and we're going to keep him. Yes. Those things have to be done earlier, not later. And all they have to do is look at the Red Sox and the handling of Mookie Betts uh, as an example of why they need to be proactive as in right now. Uh, you know, Mookie Betts, once he got to year three, once he got to year four, the gap between what he was looking for and what the team is willing to offer, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. The stakes got higher, and they wound up uh, dumping uh, Mookie Betts, just as the Orioles did in the last year for Manny Machado before he became a free agent. So I, I think the leadership of that team is on the clock right now with those guys. The Diamondbacks did sign a player to a long-term deal. Corbin Carroll, eight years, $111 million. What do you think? Well, I think it's it's a great deal for the Diamondbacks, who, by the way, are on the way up also, Buster. They are starting to build a very interesting team there. Not a playoff team. In fact, some similarities like the Orioles quietly building some really young players into that team, and, and they're going to be pretty good soon. They're not going to make the playoffs this year, but they, they do have a pretty good plan in place. And Corbin Carroll's right in the middle of that. That guy can really play, and we saw it. And, Buster, I used to always say, and I still do to some degree, that the best part or one of the best parts about baseball is in this sport, you really have to prove yourself. 
in order to get paid, which it used to be, you better be a good player for six years before you really get paid in this sport, as opposed to the others where you get a signing bonus out of college and you, you never have to work again. Well, now we're starting to go the opposite direction in baseball, and I'm frankly okay with it as long as you're giving it to the right people. And Carroll is one of the right guys that needs to get this because, again, it shows everyone in Arizona and everyone around the Diamondbacks, look how serious we are long-term. We just signed up our best young player for eight years, and no one has to worry about him and arbitration or anything else. I think it's a great move for the Diamondbacks because that kid can really play, and he's going to get better. Yeah, we had him on the podcast a few weeks ago, and if anybody wants to get some insight in, as to why the Diamondbacks invested in him, just listen to that interview, how thoughtful he is, how precise he is. He's someone, I mean, you talk about a great professional at a young age. The other thing, too, Tim, when I saw this deal, you know, when Acuna, as you know, when Acuna signed his contract, there was some response within the industry of, boy, you know what, this it, it, that might have been a mistake. He can make a lot more money. He's a power speed guy. I think if I were, you know, it, it, first off, I mean, Corbin Carroll should do what he wants. But the other thing, too, I think that if I were to, you know, be in his a friend who was in his ear, I think part of the conversation has got to be with him. Like, he's not like this Mike Trout, six foot two, uh, you know, six foot three, 240 pound guy. And I, I do worry about. Uh, you know, a, a player that size getting injured, maybe Dustin Pedroia being a classic example of that where one slide effectively ended Pedroia's career. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And uh, I know a little bit about this being, being a my size. If you're, if you're a big, strong guy, there's a good chance you're going to stay healthier um, than if you're a little bit slight. Um, but I, I'm not going to worry about that. It's just a little too early, but you know, you can get hurt very easily playing baseball. I'm not sure everyone recognizes that, but it's a dangerous game, easy to get hurt, and you got to take care of yourself no matter what. The Nationals agreed to terms with their catcher, Kaibet Ruiz, to an eight-year, $50 million deal. And, Tim, we mentioned the note from Sarah Langs over the weekend. Ruiz's deal, considering a service time of one, plus, uh, one year plus a handful of days, uh, is – by far the longest deal uh, signed by any catcher. The previous high had been Salvador Perez getting a five-year deal after he had a year of service time with the Kansas City Royals. What would you thought about this deal? Yeah, I was a little surprised by this. Oh, look, that that kid's a good player. He His plate discipline needs some work, that's for sure, but most young players need help with that. Um, and But the fact that he's a catcher, is a good move for the Nationals because it means you're building around somebody who's going to be right in the middle of the action. You know, when your catcher is one of your good players, tough guys, he's a guy to build around. And yet you always worry about a catcher because injuries can happen so easily to a catcher. So I was surprised by that. So you are out in Arizona as you and I speak today. Uh, what have you seen so far? What are you going to see? Well, I saw the Dodgers play the Cubs the other day, and I think the Cubs have a chance to be not a playoff team, but better than last year, and they were much improved the second half of last year. So I kind of liked what I saw with the Cubs. I always like what I see with the Dodgers, but they still, Buster, for the first time, they're a little thin here and there. I mean, they're going to, at this moment, they're going to platoon in left field, platoon in center field. Um, you know, the infield has been shaken up, of course, by the injury to Gavin Lux. Um, not completely sold that their starting pitching is going to be okay. You know, Tony Gonsolin rolled an ankle. He's going to, he's not going to be ready on opening day. So it's the first time I've been seeing the Dodgers in spring training, and I didn't say, wow, this team is great. They're going to win 100 games. I mean, they're going to make the playoffs. I just, this is the first time I've had some doubts about the Dodgers, but as we know, if they do have issues moving forward, all they have to do is spend all the money that they have or use a prospect or two to go get what they want. So I saw them yesterday. I saw, I saw the Mariners play the Rangers. The Rangers are a very interesting team. They'll get more interesting today when Jacob DeGrom and, and Nate Evaldi throw, see how they do. John Gray threw a bullpen yesterday, and that went well. So I liked what I saw there. I liked what I saw from the Mariners yesterday. Also, 
They, you know, they made the playoffs finally last year. They made their team better in the offseason. Um, they should be a very interesting team, and I think they're a playoff team again. And today I'm going to see the Padres, which is always fun. And even though most of their players are gone to the WBC, um, I got to get a good look at, at what the Padres look like. But from a distance, they look pretty good. Sorry, do you think you're going to be ready? Uh, we had this conversation with Sarah Langs earlier this spring. Do you think you're going to be ready to pick the Padres over the Dodgers after the Dodgers ran away with that division last year, won 107 games? Yeah, I, you know, they, the Dodgers won 107, the Padres won 89 games. And the Padres were good last year, but I think they're much better. And after today, I will tell you if I am ready. Not like it matters what I think, Buster. If I'm ready to pick someone other than the Dodgers to win the West. At the moment, I am leaning towards the Padres. I will take a good look at them today, see what I come up with. And I will we'll talk about this next week. All right. Uh, we got this bleacher tweet from Paul Young, who writes, It is early, but it appears the pitch clock is working, much to my chagrin, but I shall never support extra innings ghost uh, runner a bridge too far. It's a terrible change. It should be retracted, draws away from thrill, suspense, excitement in extra innings. Tim, when I read this, it occurred to me, this might be along the lines of where you're thinking at this point. Yeah. Um, I really like the pitch clock so far, mainly because it has worked so far. Now that's not to say it's not going to blow up and go haywire, but I don't think it is. I, I talked to Bruce Bochy yesterday, and he said, I love the pitch clock. Chris Young, the GM of the Rangers, told me, I love the pitch clock. It is working. Um, the Mariners have had absolutely no problems with the pitch clock. This is going to work, and so I agree, and let's hope it continues when the regular season begins, and I will never ever be in favor of the ghost runner at second. I'm sorry, Buster. I'm 66. The game has been played well over a hundred years, a certain way. We shouldn't be changing the rule. And it just, just bothers me, Buster. If we're speeding up these games, then, then why do we need the ghost runner in a tie game? I know a lot of people love it. I really know a lot of people in the game who love that rule. I don't, and I don't think I ever will. It's just too much of a departure from what real baseball should be. All right, Tim, have fun in Padres camp today. Thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster, sorry about Vanderbilt. See you soon. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster, Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. John Chacona writes in a question. When Joey Votto retires, should he immediately become baseball's foremost TV analyst or should he be made commissioner parsing the implications of what he told Buster on the podcast will keep me busy for weeks? Yeah. Uh, first off, he would never be commissioner uh, because the commissioner now is the is typically a lawyer for the owners. Uh, and Joey Votto would never like bend, you know, do a pretzel to to work for the owners. There's no chance he would do that. Sarah, I uh, you know, I've known Joey a long time. Uh, you know how smart he is. Uh, always enjoy my conversation with him. That's the first time you've gotten a chance to talk to him. What was your takeaway? My takeaway was, like you said, he's just so smart. And I don't think it like I ever really truly processed how much wisdom he truly has. But when he was breaking down the rule changes and what it means for the hitters and everything, it just made so much more sense. And I loved him. What a guy. Debbie Gammons Brown, DGB. She put that in her uh, her name on Twitter. I think we're responsible for that. We'll take credit. Wow. She, she writes in, is there a team that's uh, had a more up and down existence uh, as the Red Sox over the last decade since 2012? Boston has finished either first or last with almost nothing in between. How do you account for their extremes? Uh, I, I think the way the team has been built in, in in other words, we saw in 2011, uh, you know, there was a complete disaster of a season. So in the aftermath of that, there's mass change within the organization. You know, Terry Francona has moved on and Theo Epstein moves on and Ben Charrington takes over. They really struggle with Bobby Valentine in 2012. They change managers and then they invested in the team free agents. And guess what? They win. And then they go in the other direction and Ben winds up. So I, I think it's the shift in, in how the team is being run, which is why 
I'm going to be fascinated to see if they have a down year, what's going to happen at the top of the organization. Will they again make a dramatic change for a team that's won the World Series more than any other team over the last two decades? They have had dramatic change. Mar at the Mar writes in, is Jared Kelnick's performance this spring a sign that this is the year he puts it together? You know, you hope so for him, but I got to tell you, uh, as I'm seeing his uh, performance this spring, I I definitely have a reflex of I want to see it in the regular season because his biggest issue as a hitter has been pitch recognition. And once you get into the regular season, you're not seeing fastballs like you see during spring training. You're not, uh, you know, you're not getting the game planning that you're going to see during the regular season. And so we'll see if he can keep it moving forward. The art of AG3 golf branding at Golf Life Rag writes in Buster, given the fact that Puerto Rico is part of the United States of America and not its own country, why do they get a separate WBC team? Maybe because the, the history is so distinct, you know, uh, uh, a place that produced Roberto Clemente and, and Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa and Javier Baez. Uh, I get it, you know, and, and uh, Puerto Rico... Uh, also has its own entrance in the in the in winter ball. And so maybe that's sort of the precedent, right? That, uh, you know, that feeling that, uh, you know, Puerto Rico is its own baseball universe probably is the reason why we do this. To uh, draw a cross sport comp, um, they don't there is no team Great Britain in soccer. It's England, right. Wales, Northern Ireland, Scotland. So not it's not super wild that this is a, a thing. No. Last one for today, Joey Bats at Joey Bats 1988 writes in, if a trailing team puts in a position player pitcher in a blowout game, could the batters delay to trigger automatic strike calls to expedite the end of the game, effectively invoking a mercy rule? Yeah, you you absolutely could do that. And by the way, you could do it at any point in the game if you really wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you're down 20 to 1 and you're like, you know what, we're done, you could effectively... Uh, you know, just ram through your team's plate appearances. But I don't know too many hitters who would do that willingly. All righty. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. We're going to be back on Wednesday and Thursday this week. So keep sending them in. That's it for today. My thanks to Grayson Rodriguez, Tim, Eduardo, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.